Welcome to STEMiVest Podcast episode 62. In this episode, Dr. Peter Danmaris talks with Ranveig Strom. Ranveig joined the Knowledge Transfer Group of CERN, the European Organization for Nuclear Research, as an administrative student in February 2017, working in marketing and communications. Since February 2018, she is responsible for CERN's entrepreneurship activities. Ranveig works to foster a culture of entrepreneurship at the laboratory and to assist CERN personnel wanting to create companies. With a strong interest in technology management and new business development, she has completed a master's from the NTNU School of Entrepreneurship in Norway, for which she wrote her thesis while at CERN. Ranveig has also completed courses at UC Berkeley, doing a deep dive into the Silicon Valley startup scene, while also being a business development intern for a startup in San Francisco. In the past, Ranveig has been involved in several startups, giving her a hands-on experience in business development, as well as holding positions in various entrepreneurship-oriented organizations. Specifically, she has worked as an entrepreneurial supervisor for students with business ideas, as project manager for a handful of EIT Climate KIC programs, and also as a board member of Start Norway. This is STEMiverse Podcast Episode 62. STEMiverse is a podcast produced by Tech Explorations. Our mission is to help educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. Whether you are a professional or casual teacher teaching in a classroom, or a parent or caretaker teaching at home, this podcast brings you the knowledge and experiences of practitioners, academics, entrepreneurs, and lifelong learners who are passionate about education and strive every day to help our children prepare for life in a world of radical change, and why not, abundance. Ranvai. Thank you for joining me on another Stimulus episode. It's a real pleasure to have you on. How are you today? Oh, I'm awesome. I'm really happy to be here with you today. Uh, I'm currently in France, and so getting closer to bedtime, but oh, I'm really <laughs> but ready for this. Talk. Just uh, last week, you were in my neck of the woods in Australia. Well, kind of. It's a big place, but you were down in Melbourne, and you just got back a few days ago, back home. How was that? No, I mean, Australia, wow, it's such an amazing country. It's so different. I mean, just the wildlife, the colors, and the people are so nice. I'm just really, I'm in love with Australia. <laughs> and so we also went to this road trip, did a lot of surfing, yeah. all of that. I've got to say you're very brave because uh, if you look around the internet, and especially YouTube, um, you'd know how dangerous Australia is. Like every animal here is deadly, including koalas. People don't know about that. And uh, you know about the killer koalas, for example, and there's koalas that jump on you from the trees and uh, just, ah! And uh, the kangaroos can punch you like um, Mike Tyson. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the crocodiles, let's not get into that. And then the spiders. And you survived all that and made it back home. So... I've got to say congratulations. I'm glad I'm not more <laughs> educated about this, let's say. <laughs> no, my kids make a lot of fun to um, their cousins in America. And every now and then we send them uh, little videos of uh, dangerous animals and say, hey, come to Australia, it's fun if you survive. 
<laughs> I've got to say, just to set the, the it's just a joke, uh, just to set the record straight. I've never been in any sort of danger with the local fauna, and, um, and it's been quite safe. So I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, you're back uh, in France, where um, uh, that's your home, but you work at CERN, and you are the Entrepreneurship Development Officer at the Knowledge Transfer Group. Um, and I've done a little bit of reading about the work that you do there and the work that the group does, and it's, it's um, quite amazing because what you do is you help um, convert the, the knowledge that is created at CERN into businesses that provide products and services to the whole world, essentially, take these technologies that are developed at CERN and help solve everyday problems, make life better. And with Jeff, yesterday we were talking to, uh, not yesterday, last week, spoke to Jeff Wiener. We talked about a lot of um, technologies that came out of CERN to solve problems and amazing stuff. Anyway, um, I, I will get to that very soon. But first, I'd like to ask you to take a bit of time to introduce yourself Tell us what motivated you to uh, do the kind of work that you did today, and then uh, we'll, we'll continue from there. No problem. So, well, my name is Ranve, and now I live here in France. I work in Switzerland at this amazing organization called CERN, and I'm originally from Norway, which is further up in Europe. Um, so, yeah, I work with developing entrepreneurship, which is Oh, I don't think many of my colleagues at CERN would agree, but for me, this is the coolest job I can have. So a lot of competition about which, whose job is cooler at CERN. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> well, now, so now I work with entrepreneurship and, and the whole, this direction kind of started already during high school when I, for the first time, had this course where we actually could start our own, own businesses and where we got to go into the real world, talk to people in the industry. We went to suppliers and bought uh, material. We made our own products and then went out there and sold them. We actually mm. earned money during this course. And for the first time, so, so I always loved school. I, I loved going through the whole education system. But for the first time, this kind of ignited the spark because I could actually do something. I could go out there and, and create actual value um so this was really mm. the first time i felt this this is very interesting because i, I compared uh this story to me as a student at school i remember i'd go to school i would sit in mathematics lectures history language some physics like you know this stuff that you do when you go in the classroom then the world around me would just continue doing what it was doing uh, there was no connection there i remember it was quite boring as well. It sounds very different to your experience, right? So it seems like through the entrepreneurship, uh, I don't know if it was a program or a class or how you describe it, uh, through that activity, you were actually connected with the outside world uh, and you had to build an actual product, right? It wasn't just paper or a drawing. You had to build it. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually, so, I mean, at this stage in your life, we are not very exposed to real problems yeah. in industry, for instance. So, so often the like products you end up with are pretty basic. So we actually made like wax uh, lunch bags that we sold, uh, but we actually got in contract. We went to a like fair for these kind of companies and we sold this as a gift to all the judges, all the participants. Uh, and that was actually some kind of, 
like a fair amount of money for yeah. uh, high school students and it, it was just it was just so much fun so there was a like your first taste of entrepreneurship like how, how would you describe entrepreneurship is it like starting up a business is that what entrepreneurship is or is it something else perhaps uh, that involves starting a business but in addition to something else for me creating a business is really complex problem solving yeah because you're kind of you're innovating like entrepreneurship will anyways entail uh, an innovation and you're delivering this to market but it hasn't been done before right. uh, or not the in this way anyways so you need to figure this this out and it hasn't been done before so there's a lot of risk on the often on the technology but just as often on the market uh, and then you have so few resources when you begin with so it's just so complex um, so you need to be really good at for instance selling the story but also learning learning the people you're going to work with like what they want how they want it so you really need to listen to your customer but then you also need to spend your money really really wise you need to find new solutions because it's really different compared to creating something in a big company where you actually yeah here you got a million oh, <laughs> do whatever yes. you, want, you know so it's just to do this you need so much passion uh, so I started to get the picture, like, and uh, connecting a little bit to science and, and CERN in particular, you are, in a way, a, a scientist because you are trying to push a problem-solving um, agenda in a way. A scientist has a natural problem to understand or to solve, where in your case, as an entrepreneur, you've got a problem in society that you're trying to find a solution with, uh, perhaps through like a, an engineering process of prototyping. Let's try this product and put it in the market and see if uh, it solves a problem. Let's go back after we take some learnings in and iterate version two of the product. And so let's cut love like the science and engineering process together. But as an entrepreneur, it sounds like you need to have a lot of other skills in your toolbox, uh, interpersonal skills. You need to be able to talk to other people and <laughs> to, to pitch your product. You need to be able to manage the capital that you have and uh, not, not to waste it. You need to have uh, the ability to understand the possible solutions. So it's a lot more than just starting up a business right uh an yeah. entrepreneur needs to be like a hundred people in one in a way including a scientist and an engineer definitely that's it and, and it's funny you say it because i really remember when i came to cern so my first supervisor there um she's working in communication but she's actually an astrophysicist <laughs> and <laughs> and i remember i was talking to her about my passion for entrepreneurship and told her that like yeah these people are so passionate but she was like yeah but that's you're talking about scientists now and and later on we had this panel at cern talking if like the scientists make would make good entrepreneurs and the conclusion was like they have so many of the same traits yeah. and so kind of on the personality basis um it's it's a lot of similarities but then it's more so you need to learn kind of the the mindset of an entrepreneur because that is often very different to mm -hmm. that of an engineer at least because 
when you're an engineer, you're often like, here's my solution. Now I'm going to push it. Well, when you're an entrepreneur and you're building this product, you need to adapt it to the needs of, of other people, to market. Yeah. So you need to listen. You can't be the smartest person. That's right. right. Wow. Um, it's often a bit hard concept to grasp. <laughs> but, but if you learn this mindset and to learn how to go about it, then I believe scientists, engineers, I mean, they're, they're born entrepreneurs. So these are skills. In other words, if I understand right what you're saying, uh, entrepreneurship is a skill that can be learned. And um, uh, we can talk about that later as well, because I think that's probably something relevant to your role in the knowledge transfer group. Is that right? Like transferring those skills, <laughs> those entrepreneurship skills? Well, I mean, I work a lot with scientists, but they usually already want to start a company. Ah, so, right. So they do have the bug, the entrepreneurship bug. Yeah. And also, actually, the step before that kind of inspiring entrepreneurship, creating a culture yeah. of entrepreneurship, educating about entrepreneurship. Right. Well, okay. Let's keep that under lock for now because I want to come back to that and explore it. But we're still exploring your your path to where you are now. So you got the bug of entrepreneurship at school, at high school, where you started your first company. Uh, and then you've transitioned into university, of course. So you went to the, uh, you got a, a master's in uh, entrepreneurship, is it? Uh, or technology management from the NTNU School of Entrepreneurship in Norway. So what was that like? If you could put that in, say, in a nutshell, after your oh, school experience. Most, <laughs> most challenging most amazing experience. So, I mean, it's one of the hardest studies you can imagine because you, you do a master's degree, but you're, you need to start a company during the period. So there you go again. Your second company, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you, start, you start super early in the morning. You work until night because all your peers and the whole community around us, they are so dedicated and so into this and are working so hard but then again the the work doesn't become that hard in the end because you're together with your peers and you're having a lot of fun at the same time it's just this feeling of being surrounded by other people that are motivated and that want to do stuff uh, which yep. is really great and like pushes you forward um Sounds like so that. yeah so Truly amazing. So it sounds like a, a very high performance environment. It's like you are in an environment or we'll go into Silicon Valley startup scene later because you've got experience with that. You are in an environment where everybody is working at the peak of their ability and performance and that pushes you to work at your peak. Um, and it's got a cascading effect. So that was your experience at university, right? <laughs> Exactly. Long work days. So you set up, uh, again, you went through the experience of solving problems and then trying to uh, commercialize those products or those commercialize the solutions to those problems uh, through a business. Definitely. Yeah. So, so it's, uh, the method is quite interesting. So you spend half a year. Um, well, you have all your courses, so you still have to have four different courses, but one of them takes up 90% of your time. <laughs> And <laughs> it's basically finding ideas or finding problems that are worth to solve. And then you use one week sprints. So you have five weeks in total in which you're trying so as hard as you can to solve 
that problem in the best way possible or find the best solution to the problem. So and what then what you do is you basically take phone calls. You use 90% of your time talking to experts, talking to the market, talking to as much people as you can. We're talking like hundreds of different people hmm. and then are kind of tr trying to gain as much information as possible about this so that you can make a conclusion, it will never be a conclusion that they hear, but so get some indication if this is a project that you would want to work further on and that could be worth investing in. So at the mm -hmm. end of that semester, you have like maybe 50 ideas that you're validated. So by the end of these weeks, you said like thumbs up. And based on that, all the people are forming teams and they start their companies in so which they work next one and a half year. So then that's when the business part comes in. So up to that point, you are exploring ideas and solutions. That's perhaps that's more like the science engineering part. And then once you've completed with the validation and you feel that you have a, a high level of confidence that this is going to work, then you get into setting up a business to commercialize the yeah, idea. Yeah, like a certain level of, I mean, you can never, never be, be sure. <laughs> you can never be too sure um, because... I mean, when people tell stories, they're often linear, yeah. but like, especially for these kind of stories, they, they look like circles all over the place. They're like so chaotic. and yeah, That's the right word. <laughs> but you're trying to minimize the risk yeah. that this will fail immediately. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's take the next step in your story. So now you, you have completed your master's and you decide to travel to the western coast of the US. You go to Berkeley, so University of California at Berkeley, and you study the Silicon Valley startup scene. So what, <laughs> yeah, what's so going that on was, there? That was a four-month uh, course or a stay there for four months where we went to Berkeley uh, and also got to work in startup companies. Uh, as an experience to kind of, well, I mean, it's very different um, how the startup scene in Europe is compared to mm. well, the one place you, you really associate with entrepreneurship. Like people are so into it and uh, the atmosphere is just amazing. So you experienced that. Um, like maybe we can talk about the learnings that you got there, uh, but I guess that, you know, that, that intensity, did that excite you more or did you think, geez, these people are crazy here. There's no way I can do this. Like, how did you feel? I think I think that definitely excited me more. Mm. But it's also, so, so I was working in this, this company back then. It was the founding team only. They've, they've been in Y Combinator, which is the mm. world's most uh, known startup accelerator. And school and they, as well. I mean, I, yeah. I, I just found them really good so it was just a founding team and then i came in as the the first like kind of outsider i was being an intern at that time and, and just seeing these people work so incredibly hard and do you also see what you risk or kind of what you miss uh when when you go down this path because you you need to well you may, need to choose away other parts of your life often. yeah exactly it is a sacrifice, right? It's not. It's not a decision that people take lightly. When you go chase a dream like that, uh, which has, you know, it, it's it's obviously important to you, but you do give up on pretty much everything else in life 
for a big chunk of time because these things take years to either succeed or to fail. Yeah, and then I, then I think also most people don't really realize that. Yeah. Uh, they don't realize the work that it's needed in order to to get a product or a service out there um, and how much time that will require. Yep, that's right. Uh, people are naive the first time that they go in it. Uh, they see the excitement, but they don't realize <laughs> that it comes at a cost. Uh, the, the funny thing is that, actually not funny, the interesting thing is that uh, entrepreneurs, even though the first time that they go in are naive and uh, they realize that they've missed out a lot in their lives, uh, they do it again. So whether they succeed the first time or not, uh, a large percentage of entrepreneurs will try again a second and a third time and it, it can be eventually become uh, a lifestyle, uh, which is, I guess, because it is a particular type of person that is attracted to that kind of uh, way of living. Yeah, definitely. And, and and also you have kind of walked through that path already then and yeah. and learned a lot of stuff and also your credibility. I mean, if you did a good job with a former company, for instance, your credibility rises and yeah. that makes your next journey so much easier again. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Knowledge. Well, so your, your time in uh, Berkeley, uh, sorry, in University of California in Berkeley was just before you joined CERN, is that right? Well, actually it was, I, I did the Berkeley thing before I did my master's. Oh, so you went to Berkeley, then you did your master's back in Norway, and that eventually led you to CERN. I forgot the chronology. Exactly, right? exactly. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it, it's actually a program we're running with CERN and the NTU New School of Entrepreneurship that got me involved. Right. So part of the, you, I told you about this first half year where we find and validate all these ideas. Yeah. So one of those weeks, we always spend at CERN right. and uh. thus I did this at CERN, went back and then I know, like then I had already learned about the opportunities at CERN. So later down the line, I applied. That's when you decided that that's, that's where you want to be. Okay, let's talk about CERN now then. Uh, so you joined CERN. Did you join straight into the knowledge transfer group? I joined straight into the knowledge transfer group, but at that time I was actually writing my thesis there. Right. And I worked more on the communication side in the beginning. And then I worked for a year and then I transferred into what I'm currently working with now. Yeah. So it's not just hired, you're hired. You're now an entrepreneurship development officer <laughs> at the <laughs> yeah. KT. Uh -huh. All right. Let's talk about that. So now, um, could you take a bit of time and tell us what is the knowledge transfer group? Like what is its, uh, its mission really within CERN? And then talk about what kind of work you do within that group. Yeah. So the CERN Knowledge Transfer Group is kind of the entity at CERN who makes the technical experts at CERN and industry talk together. So kind of transferring or disseminating the knowledge of the people at CERN to new applications. And our mission is to maximize the impact of CERN on society. So, uh, could you give us an example, perhaps, of like, um, and while you talk, I'm going to show something uh, to our audience. Um, um, could you give us an example of 
transfer of knowledge transfer that we may be familiar with. So I'm just showing the homepage of the knowledge transfer group here. And uh, then you can talk in the background about uh, perhaps an, an example I can see here, a medical device, for instance, a high energy physics. That yeah, so what you can see on that picture, I guess it's hadron therapy. So where you actually use a proton beam to treat cancer. <laughs> so I mean, a medical... Proton, a proton beam. Yeah. It, well, so a proton beam is a charged particle, if I remember correctly, uh, positively charged. Like I could be totally wrong here, and I probably shouldn't be talking about that stuff. But okay, uh, I've heard about MRIs and you know scanners and things like that. But this is—it seems like a, a like a laser beam, but it's not light; it's protons, and. Uh, it's used to treat a pretty bad condition like cancer. So this is, an is this something that is in the process of being commercialized? No, so, so this is actually a very well-known application. Ah, it's done. Physics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very well-known. Uh, one of the typical examples, because there, you have traditionally a lot of overlap between medical and biomedical technologies and, and physics when it comes to treatment, diagnostics, yeah. imaging. Yeah. So this is a, a graphic that you have in your homepage here. That so so shows... this really sums up well uh, what we do in the knowledge transfer group. Yeah. Because at CERN, you see in the middle in the circle there, mm -hmm. you have the three areas, accelerators, detectors, and computing. So those are the three technological pillars of CERN. Yeah. So we, I mean, we send the particle through the accelerator, they collide, um, like we take a picture of the results uh, for like saying it very simply, and then we gather and analyze yeah. and visualize this data. So, so th these are really the pillars of what we do. And to explain further how this can create applications in completely different areas of society. You can see on the left-hand side, there you mm -hmm. got our areas of expertise, which is kind of what lies behind these three pillars. And then you can see like cryogenics, cooling and ventilation, hmm. material science, metrology, robotic sensors, superconductivity. And then it's kind of easier to relate to what knowledge from CERN can contribute to. Yep. And then on the right-hand side, there you see areas where you typically find applications. Yeah. So uh, the example that we just looked at in, in this video, which you can find uh, in the homepage, this looks like it's a result of particle physics research, control, computing. Uh, so it's a bunch of things here. It's not just one area of research that led to the development of this technology. It's just a, a bunch of these things. And then it went through CERN, accelerators, detectors, computing, the, the things that you've got in the middle, and it resulted to a medical and biomedical technology, to this thing here. In a nutshell, is that what happened with this particular technology? <laughs> um, I'm not sure the history of hadron therapies Specifically, but typically, yeah, you, you kind of rely on these areas of expertise, either being a specific technology or a piece of know-how, for yeah. instance, and then 
um, this contributes to other applications, yeah. which are often not really obvious at all. Hmm. It takes time, doesn't it? Like maybe um, uh, I, I was just thinking maybe to, to have a look at how much effort is needed for something like this to come out and to be used in the public by the public uh, like we're looking here at the tip of the iceberg of the the effort needed to create something like this behind it i guess there's perhaps decades of work uh, in multiple fields to make it happen and because CERN does a lot of research in fundamental areas of science and technology, which is basically the forefront, you create new stuff. The, we're looking at decades worth of effort before something comes out. Um, is that right? Well, it depends. Uh, if you're talking about medical and biomedical technologies, this can often be the case. If you're mm. like for hadron therapy, where you use accelerators, um these are huge machines and you like you need big collaborations and studies behind it but then again you have other examples um where, where like the, just the path of commercialization is completely different yeah. so one thing is if you're actually using accelerators themselves but if you have like one other thing at CERN is actually um we're a huge organization so we rely on a lot of IT systems so that's also something we commercialize, mm. uh, IT systems, and, and those are, are easier to, to get to market quicker. Right, the, the path is. So you've got a, a huge variety then in technologies that come through or out of CERN that become commercial products. So I guess you need to have some fairly sophisticated processes or very smart people to be able to identify where the potential is and and then to push them through a process that you have to make it commercial um, so can we switch just very briefly to talk about your role now uh, in all this and uh, what do you do here uh, this looks pretty amazing but what is exactly your role so i am responsible for CERN's entrepreneurship activities i try to create a culture of entrepreneurship uh, in the organization, and I help people that want to start a company uh, mm -hmm. based on CERN. So you use the experience that you have, the specific experience that you have for creating businesses within CERN. Yeah, exactly. Are those like commercial businesses? Are they spin-offs CERN, or are they perhaps outside businesses that come into CERN and say, hey, we're really interested in this technology that you have developed and would like to use it in our business to build XYZ product. Yeah, so so a bit of all. And um, actually, I think what we have the most, so we have actually no formalized incubator at CERN. So incubator for startups, meaning where you get to develop your idea in the early stages. Uh, but we have a network of such centers. So, so we have a network spread around across Europe where other ecosystems and infrastructures are committing to work on uh, with startups that are using certain technology. Right. And they are, I mean, they, they are already existing 
ecosystems and incubators. And what often happens is that they actually talk to companies and and then they say like, oh, wow, you can maybe use this technology or this kind of knowledge from CERN. And then you do a matchmaking and suddenly you find a match. I mean, if you have enough uh, leads, that will eventually happen, uh, which is pretty cool. And then you have some spin-offs, but, but I also, to be fair, I also help people that want to do stuff that's nothing related to CERN just because their contract is ending um, and it, it, they have an idea for what they want to do next. So uh-huh. that's kind of also part of my expanded mission. But uh, but no yes. sponsor group itself are mostly working on, on the technologies. So you do work uh, with a lot of larger companies that are building these medical devices, for example. Uh, I, I guess to build something like that, you'd need some fairly sophisticated um, and expensive technology labs and um, you know, ability to... Uh, uh, liaise with hospitals and doctors and a good understanding of the the medical research as well as the technology. Uh, but you also go to the micro level. So you said you can have, say, a, a contractor or an individual who has an idea for uh, a product and then you can assist them as well to develop that. Yeah. So nothing is too big, nothing is too small. It's, <laughs> that's great. Well, I mean, but for the big uh, medical projects, I, I I wouldn't be like if it's bigger companies. I wouldn't be involved. That's yeah. and somebody of my colleagues. So we actually have a group for medical applications, and they are, well, I mean, they are amongst they're the biggest group within the knowledge or the biggest section within the knowledge transfer group again. Yeah, right. Okay, um, because it is it is a large group, so there's a lot of people involved there. So I guess you have a lot of lawyers, uh, a lot of business. Uh, oriented people, a lot of uh, technologists and scientists all working well, together. Most of, the, most of my colleagues will have a PhD in a technical area yeah. and then some business experience or an MBA in addition to this because yeah. they kind of need to understand both worlds. Um, of course, yeah. Uh, it's what we were saying earlier when it comes to entrepreneurship. You need to have multiple skills. Uh, you can't be just an engineer or just a scientist. Uh, your skill set has to be uh, extensive uh, to be able to understand all these different parameters that come into developing a, a new business that solves a problem that hasn't been seen before. So that is also representative in the way that the knowledge transfer group works with the skills that you have. It is, but... Then again, uh, the knowledge transfer group is much, much wider than just entrepreneurship. So entrepreneurship is one part, and and that's where I contribute the most. But we also work with really big companies. Um, You have a lot of R&D collaborations. You have licensing um, in addition to this. So so the entrepreneurship and the startup part of it is is only one one small branch. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for correcting that because it's not really – Knowledge Transfer Group doesn't just do entrepreneurship. Um, it, its mission is to transfer uh, knowledge that has been developed within CERN to the world. And that may include entrepreneurship or it just may be just a straight business as usual. Like the, the path may be a little bit more um, linear in a way instead of the, uh, the discovery component that entrepreneurship has. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, training next. Uh, so we, t- we touched a little, and I'm going to take it back to entrepreneurship a little bit, but it doesn't have to be uh, entrepreneurship uh, uh, on it only. Um, so I wanted to ask if within the group, you also 
offer opportunities perhaps to discern staff or even outsiders uh, for education in those areas, both in like in general business, but also in entrepreneurship. Because you did say that there's a lot of scientists and engineers in CERN that, that do have that mindset of wanting to take things to the world. So do you offer training? So like the Knowledge Transfer Group has several trainings in different areas like IP, so intellectual property and licensing, or knowledge transfer as a whole. Uh, we also get a lot of case studies if you go through this training. So, so these are kind of courses that are tailored for the um, certain community. Yeah. But then we also have training uh, courses that are open to the, well, to the whole world, which is something I am a lot involved in because we have, for instance, the CERN Entrepreneurship Student Program where we get master students from the whole globe over to CERN for a five-week period to learn about high-tech venture yeah. creation. What is it like? Could you tell us a few things about it? Like what it is like for somebody going through that program from the public? Well, so first they come to CERN, uh, which is a strange place where you meet a lot of people. People are very open. They this. Like they start with the first week where they really need to talk to a lot of people at CERN. They need to explore. Steep learning curve. Yeah. And, and then, I'm, I mean, we kind of send them out the same track as we did uh, during my master's. So they, they need to do all these phone calls. and so practical hands-on project Very, very hands-on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that that's the way for entrepreneurship training. Uh, you need to do it. And... And of course, this is education. We want them to learn, but we, we really want them to create opportunities so that they can start companies based on the project they have. Is it is what you're talking about this that I'm looking at now on the screen? That's it, yes. Right. So it's called the CERN Entrepreneurship Student Program. Mm-hmm. So five-week exactly. program. So the, the, uh, who is a target audience for this? Like, who is a typical student that will join this program? So like, they need to make master students. And then it's a bit, a bit of a tricky mix, but you find it because we really want them to have technology backgrounds, yeah. but also have some education or experience with entrepreneurship. So we kind of, well, if you want to, to get in, if you want to be amongst the highest uh, rated, those who actually get Successful. accepted to this, yeah. then you need to, you need to have both components. You need to be somewhere in the middle of the scale. Uh, and that is because, uh, well, for, for the technology part, it's very hard working with certain technologies. And it's it's nice if you have some basic understanding of this. Of course. But also, we don't want to start on the basic of entrepreneurship. Uh, we, we really want to okay. indulge into the specifics of the certain context and what they can learn from that and, and start the very hands-on training so that they already have part of the skill set. It is a five-week program so you want to maximize the outcomes in that time so you don't want to start with entrepreneurship 101 <laughs> and talk about the very basics right you assume that the students have already understanding of those items uh, technology i guess they need to have some a technical background and understanding of technology because if i understand right they will be through the program they will be biased towards using CERN technologies in their projects? Well, yeah, so, so they need to identify technology or knowledge or project at CERN that they can base their work on or or even uh, be inspired by CERN. Mm. 
Yeah. So five weeks later, like um, if possible, I don't know if you have confidentiality agreements with students as part of their work there. Could you, could you tell us some examples of successful uh, collaborations with students or graduates or alumni that have developed something in those five weeks that we may be familiar with or may not be familiar with, but that you think as significant? Well, uh, disclaimer, like we started this program last year. So last year was the pilot's program of the whole thing where we designed the whole, um, well, the whole thing. And we had the first students going through and we started out uh, last year only with 10 students. So, so what's kind of the projects that they, as an example, some of the projects that they worked on, even if they didn't eventually make it into the market, but what are the kind of problems that they tried to solve in those five Yeah, so, so two, of, uh, two of the teams actually ended up working on the same technology, yeah. uh, which is a structured laser beam. A st- sorry, a stru- structured laser beam? Structured laser beam. So you have a Gaussian beam, which is kind of a beam where... When you have it close, the the spot or the beam itself is it looks nice, but then you take it further away and it's kind oh, of yes. not that precise. Out a bit, yeah. Well, this one you can have over great distances and it will still kind of have a spot, and yeah. you can also have obstacles in the way and it will kind of reconstruct uh, itself around. Right, it's like a let's call it a clever laser beam. <laughs> it's a very clever laser. <laughs> yeah. So you can adjust to the environment. Yeah. So, so then you had the one team thinking of using this for autonomous vehicles. So ah. um, LiDAR applications Vision. where you, they were thinking, oh, but this can reconstruct itself. So uh, snow and harsh environments, et cetera, could be very nice for kind of, um, yeah. It's a laser beam, yeah, for detecting obstacles in front of the car and... Yeah. Exactly. And then being able to operate in harsh conditions. Like rain, snow. That was one of the projects. And the other uh, team wanted to use it for communication purposes yeah. in rural, rural areas. Yeah. So, so those were two projects based on the same technology, uh, but in a different direction. And this specific technology, uh, this the specific laser technology, is something that has been developed inside CERN, right? They didn't, the students didn't take it from the outside. Yeah. No, no, no. That's okay. that's inside of CERN. That's yeah. the idea. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Well, you can find it on the KT website. You were browsing the technology page earlier on. It's there. Uh, uh, it's technology portfolio. SLB, structured laser beam, laser. Uh, hold, laser hold on a second. <laughs> Let's check it out because this is uh, very interesting. So if we go to portfolio, uh, is it one of these? Yes, the, the you see the rings. This one here? No. The black? No, 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 the other. This the one. black and white. Yes. yes, that one. There you go. Structured laser beam. Wow, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So this is a like a very good example, I think, of what can be achieved through that program. I've got a couple of other questions, but before we jumped out of this topic, uh, where do the students come from? Uh, obviously, they need to be master's students. Uh, can they be from anywhere around the world, or do they need to be from member states, perhaps? No, no, we, we do open from for people from across the globe. Um, yeah. Last year, we had, well, I think everyone was studying in Europe, but two of them, they were from India, and one was mm. from Turkey, mm. um, and one was from South Africa. 
So it's open. So there's a so there's an application process. Uh, somebody it's that an application to, process. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you apply through the page you were visiting earlier on there, the Indico page. Uh, That's the CESP 2019 page on the. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This one here, yeah. So there's there, the and then you see um, yeah. apply for CESP. Um, apply. Yes. Great. So explain why I guess uh, your entrepreneurial history and knowledge you need to display that since this is one of the requirements uh, and uh, then you assess it. Yeah, one thing is your history, the other thing is your motivation yeah. and kind of the future outlook. Yeah. Yeah, so based on what you know and what you want to do and your personality traits, do you, could you be an entrepreneur? You have, you have to attach different material and recommendation letters and it's like it's a bit like applying for a job uh, but but it's really nice because we actually pay them and we cover the recommendation so that independent of where you're from you can participate to this on the same basis yeah great. so you're really judged but what you know not by like not limited exactly. by the resources yeah. you have it's awesome well i i think um since a lot of our audience are STEM teachers um, and parents, uh, we spent pretty much all of our time <laughs> with children who are in elementary school, uh, into high school, and not yet in university. And we are, of course, focusing on STEM education. So almost all of the education that we expose uh, um, our students, not all, I shouldn't say all, but a big part of the education that we expose to our students is technical in, in nature, so science, technology, mathematics, and so on. I wonder if entrepreneurship should really be one of the core components of this education as well. Like you said earlier, a lot of scientists uh, do have an entrepreneurial mind or ambitions, but of course, that component of our education currently is not really strong. Uh, we are not focusing on the business aspect. Do you think that entrepreneurship in STEM should be a bit more highlighted in the I early days? I definitely think so. Yeah, I, I actually think it's really important. Also, when you see how making a career in science can mm. often be very difficult. So because you already always rely on the funding and the amount of people actually becoming professors aren't that high. So a lot of people down the line need to do a transition and they want to do a transition. And then um, they're usually like... Uh, science or industry and then they're thinking of big companies but there yeah. is a third thing which i could actually I, I would say it's somewhere in between where you can actually go ahead and create your own future create your own company have control right so as yeah. you were saying as you were saying that i was thinking that scientists at least in the public actually not in any sector but in particular in the public sector and i'm more familiar with scientists in universities where you need to compete for funding with other scientists. So it's kind of an open market environment in that microsystem of the universities and the research institutions anyway. So the kind of work that these competing scientists do seems a lot like entrepreneurship. It's just not in the open market, but in that, that particular university or research institution fighting for government funding. 
So those entrepreneurship skills would be very useful whether you decide to start a company or to become a more traditional scientist working in a university or a research institution, you know, and advancing your research uh, and development agenda, right? Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of like the whole curriculum, if you could say like that, of entrepreneurship yeah. is representing somehow the the future requirements for for mm. your skill sets mm. um, and and what you learn it enables you to clearly identify what are the things you should highlight when you're communicating for instance uh. so how to get this funding or how to to negotiate and how to convince people these are like really crucial cornerstones of, of entrepreneurship so it could it don't only help you it doesn't only help you create your own company but it helps you in in a lot of aspects mm. in your life mm. absolutely so it's another indicator that education is really changing so I, again growing from my experience as a student each subject was its own silo and you go and learn your physics then you go and learn your history and your composition and whatever it might be and didn't really connect but you can't go on learning in that way anymore it's like the whole world is connected and knowledge as well is connected if you wanted to be useful and entrepreneurship uh, through business is what takes all that knowledge and makes it useful to not just yourself as, as a, an intellectual endeavor but uh, as something that can help the whole world go forward by solving problems so i wonder as teachers and as parents in your opinion what can we do to help our kids and our students to be more like entrepreneurs as well as scientists and engineers uh, as problem solvers I mean like you you mentioned curriculum earlier what do you think that we can do to make them think about that potential in the knowledge that they are gaining through the normal STEM um, uh, education, a traditional STEM education? So I think already from, from your younger, when you're having, when you're having dreams, when you're having um, something you want to do, if you have a project, encourage them to pursue that. Um, mm -hmm. and, Start a company. And, well, not necessarily. Uh, I mean, you could already as a kid start selling lemonade, you know, but, yep. but it's actually all about towing a passion and it doesn't have to include a business or mm. money at all. It could be becoming really good in a sport, playing a guitar and, and pursuing something in, in a direction where you have to devote yourself and just start to do something, you know, because people are like, what's the right time to start a company? What's the right time to do da da da? And, and the real solution is just just start now. With start <laughs> you it now. doing something. It's like yeah. it's not never a right time. And for instance, when you see those being accepted into, into the masters I went to, they really look on what kind of initiatives you've done and what kind of, have you yeah. pulled through any projects? Have you, do you have a passion for something? These are, are traits that, that can make you a really good entrepreneur. So if you foster them and develop them and encourage them already from your, when you're young, yeah. um, that's a good start. But of course, you need to know about the opportunities. And I think all 
often when you're younger, that's the problem. You're not really aware of all all the paths yeah. uh, you may go because there's so many. <laughs> yeah, uh, the identifying opportunities is uh, it's a totally different topic, right? I'm thinking um, uh, at a young age, you probably have interests. Uh, you don't necessarily connect the interests to opportunities, but that can come later. So if I understand what you're saying is that we need to allow kids the opportunity to pursue their interests and to lock onto interests because they can identify it. It doesn't need to be related to entrepreneurship, but through their through the work, the, the dedicated work on those interests, the rest can follow a little bit later on once they realize the opportunities. So is it just a matter of time? Then we just need to provide them with the luxury of time that perhaps... You know, as, as grown-ups, we don't have, but they can have, and that's an essential part of understanding, uh, uh, of becoming really good at something and then converting that into an opportunity and later on perhaps into a business. Just the time. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Kids today are very structured. That's I, I, I find that really bad, uh, that the time is very structured by the grown-ups. Uh, so between 9 and 10, you do this. Between 10 and 11, you do that between 11, 12, et cetera, et cetera, uh, where occupying yourself with uh, an interest uh, doesn't have a time limit or at least shouldn't have a time limit. Right. And and it's also very tricky with the whole education system where, I mean, you have this these certain subjects you should follow and then you're going to perform. Um, and mm. then if you're failing, Precious. you're getting like, meh. But often, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, like really good entrepreneurs are like typical thing is that they are really good in some things and then quite bad in other things yeah uh so so their grades can often be very like varying yeah that's the other thing uh i think you're very right i've noticed that as well most entrepreneurs are barely passing some of the subjects uh at school uh usually they are really really good at something that is not accessible at school as well (laughs) so they can never be acknowledged for something that they're really good at in school because there's no such test perhaps or such subject and uh, uh, that what is in many cases turns off future entrepreneurs from education and from school which is another big um, problem and in a way tragedy as well you don't want to lose that um, the love for for learning and for education and Um, and then so tricky so tricky to kind of find optimal solution there but it's so important yeah, I think what you suggested about you know allowing time uh, for students to pursue their strong interests uh, within the environment of a school or you know an education institution, having uh, allowing that flexibility for students to pursue their individual interests, not that of the you know government prescribed necessary curriculum. They can do that, but then take a bit of time to pursue your own. It's like the equivalent of the 20% time in Google. Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, and that's amazing, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> It's so simple, but it's just not done in the actual place of knowledge transfer, which is what a school is supposed to be. But you don't allow that flexibility. Uh, I find that really troubling. And it's really, personally, it plagued me for as long as I was a student in, uh, in organized education. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's a whole different story. 
All right. But I think um, it has to for the future. It it really has to adapt to some of these things. Yeah. Also, creativity and interaction. Collaboration. Um, yeah. Another aspect. Another aspect in in formal education that is not being uh, really addressed is that collaboration is extremely important, not just in entrepreneurship, but in learning. Just simply learning, uh, you need to collaborate with other people. It's not something that is done in isolation. Wow. Um, awesome. <laughs> Let's uh, spend the next few minutes just to wrap up our conversation. So I think we're about to hit the one hour mark. And let's see. Hmm. You already told us about your experiences that influenced you a lot over the years uh, to come to what you do now, to come to where you are now in your professional career. I wonder, is there a particular person perhaps that has also influenced you? Like, um, it could be an entrepreneur, it could be a scientist, it could be like a, a mythical figure or a fictional figure, but somebody that kind of resonates with you. <laughs> well, no particular like one person. I think it's always been the people I have around me yeah. that have like triggered next up. And it's like really just being this ball rolling and, yeah. you know, the snowball effect uh, where you meet more people who are like-minded and they inspire you. So I think I'm just continuously inspired by people around me. So your work environment is a, a huge contributor to help you, you know, move on and I, become that's better. That's crucial. Yeah. It's always crucial. High performance. High performance work environment. I find that like you, you, gotta, you have to look for people that, uh, that you feel are uh, good role models uh, that um challenging you to become better um, that make you a better person just because you know them. So that's your work environment or your social environment. So, yep, definitely good advice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's also really, um, I mean, being at CERN is very special. It's a very special place to be because yeah. it's super, super international, multicultural, uh, so many different people collaborating on such a huge scale. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I also want to ask you about uh, what kind of uh, materials, they, they could be books, they could be websites, uh, they could be podcasts, things or content that teachers, uh, students or parents can access that can give them um, you know, a good understanding in the things that we've been discussing. There could be uh, in science, in engineering, in entrepreneurship, or, or in business. Uh, the CERN, I guess the CERN website is one such place. But apart from that, any other places you would recommend? Wow, yeah, there's, there's really so many. I think in order to understand the whole like process you go through as an entrepreneur and, and why that is very different from the, the classical linear storytelling, you may also like know of like Lean Startup, uh, ah, these kind of concepts, yeah. which is uh, the basis for many, many different theories and processes uh, where basically you have a theory, you test it, you learn stuff, and then you test, like, you, you just go in a circle and this is how you learn, this is how you develop. So that's the Lean Startup methodology, right? Yeah, which, like... You um, can Google this books. You and, can Google it yeah. and it has... Then again, there's new theories that are built on this uh, later... And then you have some tools, some very practical tools, which are also very known. Mm -hmm. um, you have the 
business model canvas yep. and the value proposition canvas. So those are, well, I, I mean, they, they are great tools, um, which really help you to map out the value proposition. So, so the value you're creating for, for a certain user or yeah. a customer and the business model where you see the different aspects you need to think of. The problem is, though, that um, a lot of people think these are like the business model canvas stats. That is your business model, which is not the case because that is really like how you create, capture and deliver value. Yeah, I've used both uh, the, uh, the Lean Startup methodology and also the Business Canvas. And these are, um, I find them very useful tools because they, they essentially extract answers from your mind. Uh, I think you used the word chaos earlier. Uh, and when we were talking about entrepreneurship, if I believe correctly, and that chaos has to be reigned. It has to be, has to be put in order. And tools like that help you. Uh, there's no one tool that will do everything, but uh, if a tool allows you to put your thoughts in order in some kind of visual map, perhaps bullet lists, whatever it might be, that uh, uh, provides uh, a huge benefit in your effort to understand what you have in your head, which is just a big cloud to begin with. So that's great. We'll keep that. I uh, will put that in the show notes as well. Um, Maybe just one more question. Do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners? Um, perhaps a bit of an advice, um, do's or don'ts or things like that that you want to share? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, well, still keeping the entrepreneurship mentality. If you have an idea, usually the best thing is to talk about it to share this with other people, to discuss it, because serendipity is amazing. Hmm. It leads you to new places, and the knowledge other people have is, is often so amazing, just seeing different angles. And there's so many people having ideas, like, just locked up, thrown away, and like, I'm never going to share this with anyone. It's my big secret. It's my, it's my big <laughs> secret, and now I'm going to be a millionaire when I start doing it. And it's, it's true for, for some particular things. Yes, you may get a patent and that might be also be wise to consider. But in most cases, you get so much further by actually talking to people. And, and also, uh, the reason why these are lying in shelves is because nobody else really has. Yes, like, they're not <laughs> interested enough to pursue yeah. this. So they won't start doing it anyways. Yeah. So oh, they've got that's their own my thing one that, thing. Uh, you know, I, I, I struggle with that as well and uh, I realize that everybody in this space everybody who can do something is probably already doing something that came out of their own head and um, although there are cases where somebody steals somebody else's ideas and they go off and run with them uh, I, I think those are the minority by far rather than the majority and you lose a lot by just keeping these secrets of course just talk to the right people right <laughs> and like who you talk to is just uh, as important but don't I mean, keep it a secret. Bit wise about it, but usually you can even almost call co direct competitors just that you're yeah. saying this in a nice way. Yeah. <laughs> and formulating yourself wisely. But but the information you gain is is what enables you to take the next next step. Yeah, yeah. So communication is important. Like who would have who would have thought <laughs> communication is a big part of entrepreneurship. So do it. <laughs> 
definitely yeah so yeah that's actually my my biggest advice just yeah. do it start somewhere start talking start making something start uh, and that will lead lead you to the next thing yeah and right. you can might as well do this while you're having another job just as a side project and see where it can evolve yeah a side hustle is there is the the term for this in the industry the side hustle is you've got your main thing and then on the side you're trying something else and you could try like two or 20 different things on the side before you find what is actually uh, a good fit for yourself and the market um all right so thank you ranveig um for people that want to get in touch with you and ask questions or communicate, <laughs> so communication is important. How can they do that? You have a um, LinkedIn address. I think you do. Um, do you tweet? I do tweet, not too much, not much though. But I'm. It's very like nice if you contact me on my LinkedIn, for instance. Yep. Okay. Uh, I'll, be, so I'll be there. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes. So thank you for your time. It was really good uh, to understand what is happening there, like ex- really well, um, really complementary to the discussion that I had last week with um, Jeff. Uh, it really gives me personally a, a much better understanding of what is happening at CERN and like uh, the the depth of the organization is it's just amazing to me so thank you for making all that clear and for your time well thanks for having me and letting me share uh, some of the exciting things we do at CERN and what I do um, that's really great awesome so have a good night in uh, in France where you are at the moment <laughs> and uh, we'll talk soon yes and have a lovely day uh, to you back in Australia <laughs> thank you That's all for this episode. The notes for this episode that include links to many of the resources mentioned and information on how to get in touch with Runbike are available on our website, techexplorations.com. Each episode comes with its own page on the Tech Explorations website and a goldmine of information in the notes. This Stemivest podcast episode was produced by Tech Explorations. Do you have any questions or suggestions? Would you like to nominate a friend or colleague to be our guest? Please email us at pa at texplore.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, STEMiverse. That's S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next time.